Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the year of the final war, in the war of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of a holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for hire, he drove the celestial team, and man was the Well, 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 good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to episode 64 of Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill. How are you all doing? Better than we are doing in Ireland, I imagine. Well, episode 64. First off, if you want to follow me on Instagram, go to nemthianga underscore primordial to watch my rather average and mundane adventures in picture form. If you would be so kind as to rate, review, follow, subscribe, share, all those kind of things, as I've been getting a lot of messages from people who've been um, very supportive of the podcast lately of um, my attempts at trying to uphold freedom of expression and freedom of speech, which seem to be kind of forgotten largely, and for um, sticking my head above the parapet and saying some things that maybe others have been thinking but have not been saying, i.e. the kind of things I've been writing about in my bloody lyrics for the last two decades or more. Also, lots of people sending me clips of my own lyrics to me. Thanks. I wrote them. I know them. Well, sort of know them. Um, But yes, things have taken a very odd turn. Um, But if you do wish to support the podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash Alan Averill, where I post some other things, songs, all sorts of other stuff is up there, um, including bonus podcasts and that kind of thing. It is a necessary evil, I imagine, right now in 2021. Well, more than imagine. Um, And so, 
This episode of the podcast is going to be, I suppose, a bit about where we are as a society right now. The continuation of lockdown, moving forwards, moving backwards, um, all of the things that I observe in the clown world that we're living in right now. Um, who's driving the clown car that we're all um, gathered together in the back like animals going to slaughter, I suppose, or battery chickens or whatever you want to call us. What am I talking about? Well, I mean, maybe you've been following the news, maybe you haven't, but our government decided, um, I suppose, you know, I've, if you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you'll know my views on many of these things um, and my accounts of Dublin throughout the last 18 months and the Irish government and various things the state has been doing. But when everybody hoped for a glimmer of hope to move back towards freedom, liberty um, and a little bit of dignity. Our government decided to go the other way and accept um, some incredible modelling uh, from our state health advisors, the unelected, unaccountable um, cabal of people who hold this country to ransom, in my opinion. Um, this new variant, the Delta variant, as they call it, um, they're modelling at its most extreme end claimed that we would have 700,000 cases by October. 700,000 cases. Uh, thousands of deaths. In fact, more overall than we have had over the entire um, last 18 months. And therefore, nothing can reopen. At the moment, the whole country has been squabbling over literally the right to sit indoors and have a beer um, or eat a thing. And right now, um, I went to watch a football match the other day and had to sit outside squinting in the sun, looking in a window. That is more or less where, as a society, Ireland has been reduced to. Like I said, clown car world uh, run by an unaccountable, unanswerable cabal of people who the government have been hiding behind for the last eight months and now don't really know what to do to get rid of them. How do you remove a tumour? Well, you've got to, I suppose... Uh, first recognise that it is a tumour. Uh, slowly but surely, many people within Ireland are. It's been a very strange and bittersweet week, I suppose. Bittersweet is not really the right word. But this is the moment where I think the curtain got pulled back for an awful lot of people, where they finally went, hang on, wait, what? The dust isn't settling. We aren't going back to normal. I can't go on holiday. I can't go and do all these normal things. No, I don't ask people to spend the amount of time that I do within my own head on all of the things that I've been ruminating on for the last 18 months. But welcome to the conversation to many, many, many people who finally, finally went, what the fuck is happening? The amount of messages I've been getting in the last week, as I said, not only quoting me, my own lyrics, thank you very much. Um, I might use them as prompts. Um, in the uh, in you know in the fat Elvis years of my career, when I'm just reduced to singing along in my room here, doing uh, primordial karaoke for um, a dozen people on Zoom, but um, many many people messaging me going, Christ, it looks like you were right. Now I'm not even talking about my um, examination of the Great Reset or anything like that, because you know, considering who I am and the kind of things that I talk about and the kind of things that I've look at within the world, as I said. Um, the way I approach all of these things, i.e. scepticism being the only rational, rational point of view on everything, question everything, that's always been who I am. 
this whole pandemic hasn't made me that person. I was this person before that. And I did that to the irritation of many other people with every single thing. Um, every single headline, somebody would go, look at this. I'd go, right, well, who's the news source? Who's the author? Where does this come from? Et cetera, et cetera. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to choose. Even um, how is the drum sound on Fighting the World recorded? You know what? It's a drum machine. Etc. Um, so I've always been um, as pedantic as this, as um, willing and wanting to crew to inhabit the grey matter between the sexy black and white answer. Because I don't believe in the 100% narrative. I don't believe that there's only ever one or two or three narratives. There's hundreds. There's irrational, rational actors and agents of power pushing and pulling, moving in different directions. The chaotic, the chaos theory um, applies to all of our social interactions. Every action has a reaction and there are many of them happening at once. That's why I don't subscribe to um, the furthest reaches of either end of this, that it's either completely benign or completely malign. Nothing is 0% and nothing is 100%. There is always, we always inhabit the grey area. And within that grey area, the idea, the principle that guides me the most is um, scepticism is the only rational observation. It's the only rational way to look at the world. Not cynicism, but scepticism. Question everything. And finally, this week, an awful lot of people who maybe hadn't been doing that, it's like they awoke. And many, many people I've been talking to finally went, wow, really? Not, of course, not the Great Reset, not the most, you know, Machiavellian plot to completely steal your liberty because like I said before never put down to malice what you can to incompetence which I still believe to be a reasonably well held maxim but most definitely something is happening like I said you know to be patronizing before has something bad ever happened in history yes or yes yes could this be one of those moments yes or yes yes if it is, then let's discuss what that might be with an open mind, with a rationally um, sceptical view of the subject matter. Of course, we are all privy and prone to whatever our algorithm feeds us. And um, our grey matter, our lizard brains are not designed to take in this much information or um, misinformation or all of this kind of things we are taking in constantly. Yet at the same time, you're looking out the window. And it just looks like a sunny day and there's some people sitting outside having a beer. But they're only allowed to sit outside. But let me give me an example of what I mean. Um, we heard over and over again the mantra, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. There are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and therefore we must invade. There must be regime change. The mainstream media parroted the mantra, repeated it. We heard it from state officials, from politicians. They linked this chap, Saddam, to this other chap, Osama bin Laden, even though they were from the opposite ends of the Islamic spectrum. But they linked them together, said they were best buds and that we got to go in there because there's weapons of mass destruction. Was there? No, there wasn't. Now, you know this to be a fact. A million people came out on the streets of London to march and protest. Of course, there was still a war, but a million people were mobilised for the injustices that they saw within that very situation. Now, apply the same logic to potentially what's happening now. There are weapons of mass destruction. Have you been lied to before? Yes. 
Of course you have. Will you be lied to again? Yes, of course you will. And therefore, are we, could we be in the middle of one of those? Well, that's up for you to decide. I'm just asking the questions. But, but, my friends, hmm, it kind of has the look of it, doesn't it? So what am I talking about? Well, like I said, our government um, decided that the most extreme modelling um, created by this cabal of health officials, who then admitted that they hadn't taken into account an awful lot of the vaccination numbers, um, that this extreme modelling means that there's an open-ended risk. They even dropped in the word flu, this, that and the other. So what are we being prepared for? It feels like to me that we've crossed a Rubicon, um, if you've ever heard that phrase, which kind of means the point of no return, in a sense. Um, it's like we've crossed over more, over, over more than half of the bridge, and as we look back, we see the other end of the bridge began to collapse under its own weight, and we've only got one way to go forward. We've now installed lockdown as a way of dealing with more or less anything within society. We've granted it as a a precedented tool. It's no longer unprecedented. It is now a tool that the government and state and tech and the agents of power and influence can use um, at will. And why is this? Because we were sleeping. Um, we were sleeping at the wheel as a society. Of course, we were scared and um, demoralized, as Stalin says, tell the people something for two months and you can own them for 20 years. And that's this is a classic case of uh, propagandaizing but open ended risk what does that mean that means that the terms of what this is the idea that um the trade off for health and safety uh, and risk um will come at a big and heavy price and that price will be your liberty and your freedom and your ability to go about your life as you saw fit and was your, in my opinion, inalienable, inalienable, I can never say that word, inalienable human right prior to this, that you could have your own agency in the world, you could pursue your own dreams and goals. Now, I understand for somebody who just took shit off their boss um, for the previous couple of years, um, you know, in a dead end job that they hate. I understand that the it seems appealing to just take two years out of your life to just smoke weed, play Xbox, um, order a curry at night and have a few tins with the lads. Why do you give a shit about freedom of expression, about f freedom of speech, about the arts? I mean, like I said, the argument in Ireland right now is about whether you can have a beer inside or outside. We haven't even got to the we haven't even got to the uh, got to the stage where we're discussing, hey, hey, is there any culture? Is there any social society? Is there any music, any theatre, any comedy, any self-expression that isn't validated by the state, that isn't um, going to be sunk like um, concrete socks and sunk to the bottom of the lake under health and safety concerns? Are any of those things going to exist? We aren't even... that. That is six months away. So if you're listening to me in America and you're, you're sitting inside watching a band play and you're going, God, what the fuck is he talking about? This is where we are now. This is this clown car society, this clown car um, state we're living in. A failed, a failed banana republic of a state um, is just f uh, fumbling around looking for some kind of answer. Or is it? Or is it something more malign, something more sinister? Are we patient 
zero for the Great Reset, etc. Well, like I said, um, I don't believe in one narrative um, where everything is concerned. I try and hold the line in the middle. But for sure, when you look at something like the Great Reset, and I'm going to I'm, I'm present you a quote from that later on in the podcast, just for your delight and delectation. Um, when you do look at it, it, there's too many powerful and influential people within that for it not to have some effect. Are we witnessing what is essentially a, rev- a revolution by the 1% against the 99%? I keep often referring to the Occupy movement of 10 or 12 years ago about how that movement itself and the energy that was that it harnessed um, and the, you know, the corporate mechanism that it rightfully identified as being opposed to the interests of the common man or woman or whatever you may identify as. Um, they identified that as a, as, a, as a malign influence on society and they went for it and then that malign influence sat down and went well how can we co-opt and own all of these um, all of these movements and so now after 10 years of social media derangement a perfectly played campaign of divide and conquer they have silenced us off into our either sides and there are still people who call me as a representative of one side or the other listen um, I'm not your poster boy for anything you don't get to claim me for either I call myself, in a sense, politically homeless. Um, I'm a nuanced person, as you probably are listening to this, and therefore cannot be siloed to belong to one side or the other. In fact, those arbitrary sides make no sense, mostly. And if you've been listening to to 64 episodes of the podcast, you will know that there are nuanced beliefs um, and confused and complicated um, belief structures that we subscribe to. And many of the things I talk about are hypotheticals. They're things I view, mull over, think about, debate within my, um, internally. It doesn't mean I'm nailed to them as, they're not my belief structure. My belief structure is the scepticism. If anything, is um, the sceptical perspective. So therefore, it is your intellectual duty and rigour to mull over those things. But certainly, the very simple question of, hang on, something's not right here should be something, some place where we all are. Ad read number one is MetalBlade.com. 40 years of heavy metal history. You use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off in North America. Go and take a look. There is so much stuff there, so much history, so much incredible stuff. The original Metal Massacre series just got re-released on a, in a vinyl box. All sorts of beautiful stuff. Go and take a look and you will help support the show. Also, my father said to me, we were sitting watching a football match and he just looked up in, from the paper and he went, oh, a full stadium. I went, yeah. And he goes, where's that? I said, oh, it's, uh, it's Budapest. And he goes, oh. Oh, indeed. No one is allowed in a stadium in Ireland. Stadium in Bucharest. Some stadiums are um, clearly more full than others. Hamden um, Park uh, looks a bit empty in places. But there you are. In Ireland, where nobody is even allowed into a stadium, you're viewing another stadium on the television. Now, I agree with the principle that many of my friends say that you know, the public are fed bread and circuses to keep them occupied and that this current European Championships, as good as it actually is, as a football fan, I can say it's been really good light relief. But is that what it's designed to do? Throw a bit of bread and circuses out to people and distract them 
from some of the other things that are happening. Of course, that's the nature of what sport is to some degree. But it's also something elemental. It's something innate. Um, it's something tribal. And it's also something beautiful. I do definitely subscribe to that. But the idea that the, pe the people of Ireland are sitting watching a stadium full of other people um, going crazy, hugging when a goal goes in, expressing humanity. And you think to yourself, fucking hell, our government won't even let us inside. Then I do a little bit of research. I contact a friend in Romania and go, hey, you know, was there any track and trace, any super spreader event connected to that stadium? No, there wasn't. The answer is Texas. Hmm. No, there wasn't. Now, before you all shout at me, I know Bucharest is not Budapest, but there was also a match in Bucharest. And those are indeed different cities that sound a bit similar. I'm aware that one is Romania and one is Hungary. Before you start, hit me up in my DMs. And so how come these other examples of um, everyday life, we're constantly told that we're citizens of the world or European citizens or we're, we're told about the EU this, the EU that, the EU the other. But yet when our own cabal of health officials are making decisions um, which literally affect your very freedom and liberty, the things that 100 years ago many people gave their lives for, which seems to make no difference to anybody anymore, and because history doesn't matter. Um, context doesn't matter. Um, they say... Uh, we are told constantly how we are, as I said, citizens of um, the world and the EU. But when it comes to actually looking at another country and going, oh, I wonder how they're dealing with this situation that affects um, people in such a dramatic way. And then we go, nah, 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 not going to use any other examples, any other modelling, any other influence from anyone. We're just going our own way like it's 1955, like it's Eamon de Valera's Ireland, comely maidens at the crossroads and the country held in place by the iron grip of priests and nuns. And you know what? That story didn't end great either. But what's happened? What's happened? Part of, um, I think, society's inability to be able to really um, consider the place that we find ourselves is because people are being paid off. Um, there's a financial methadone that's been uh, pumped into people's veins. They're getting it every week in the form of um, the uh, their weekly payment by the state, which, you know, I cannot complain about. But what it's done is it's placated um, the people. It's, it's Prozac'd them into not really wanting to, um, to dissent, to protest, to really uh, kind of view the place that society is and consider the implications. Because for many people, as I said, they worked some job they fucking hated. Now they're getting money to sit around the same amount of money. Now, quite how the state manages to convince people to go back to work when they're getting the same money um, from the state. Now, the great reset will tell you that this will turn into universal basic income and people will be given money by the state to only be able to spend in um, state owned um, structures, mechanisms, shops, whatever you want to call it. No, I don't necessarily believe all that. But like I said, there was me and my dad watching football and he just looked up and went, wow, that stadium's full, isn't it? But like I said, it certainly feels like we've crossed a Rubicon, crossed a moment. And finally, some people have begun to wake up and go, hang on. What is happening? What is happening? Now, of course, 
um, that's the nature of what this podcast is, is to discuss those things because they interest me. It wouldn't be very interesting if I um, had no observation of any of these things or no interest or did not have the rather dark view of the world that I have and have always had. Um, that wouldn't make much of a podcast. And you're here because um, maybe you share some of those same views. Um, maybe you find my descent into madness kind of, uh, you know, well, it's, it's it's we all slow down for car crashes, don't we? Um, but I heard a very interesting phrase that encapsulated an awful lot of, I think, of what's happening, and that's panic porn. I was uh, always kind of was fascinated by how people loved movies like Saw and that kind of thing. And there were people who said to me, oh, it's just torture porn. Torture porn. Well, that's an interesting concept. And so basically, have we become hysterical in the sense that we're now addicted to the narrative of panic um, just like on some terms, um, we're addicted to the outrage on Twitter. Our The incentivization for, as I have always said throughout the podcast, moderate man says reasonable thing, reasonable woman says moderate thing. That doesn't get any clicks. It doesn't have, have any ad revenue behind it. It doesn't have any um, emotional cachet. But panic, outrage, risk, d- disaster. This, this is what generates clicks. This is what generates... Um, and moves the dial on all these things. Panic porn. And is um, our observation of new variants panic porn? Is that what it is? Or is it just being used to further um, an agenda? Again, these things are complicated. These things are very complicated. But does it speak possibly to a few other things that I've been thinking about? One of the, One of those is... Well, I will say something, just a a casual thing, just um, related to, for example, the finances. Apparently, 40% of US dollars that have ever been printed have been printed in the last year. Just think about that for a moment. So the banks themselves are very, very, very quiet. Now, in 2008, when we had the crash, they weren't. What has changed? Who is loaning the money to every state? How are they leveraging those loan issues? What are the bonds? What is this? What is happening in the market that somehow sees this incredible liquidity? I don't really understand it. I've tried to understand it and I can't um, I can't say that I really do. In truth, I try um, and I listen to different people who are far cleverer than I talk about um, the leveraging of bond markets against um, the GDP to ratio debt of uh, each particular country. Where is this money coming from to pay all these people? Does the PUP turn into the UBI, the universal basic income? And then we begin to move into some other territory that belongs to the Great Reset. I don't know. Perhaps there's something I'm not understanding about the market. This is true. Could it be? Could it be that what essentially we have done is the fact that could it be? And maybe this is something of an existential question. The fact that in the West we have had no religion for so many years. We've declared our religion obsolete. We've declared the structures of religion obsolete that held society within place. Have we adopted, um, basically, the derangement um, which has been inculcated within us for the last 10 years? Have we adopted that as a form of religion? And now we are in the perfect storm created by the pandemic 
um, to have a new set of rules placed upon us. Once upon a time, those were commandments. Those were rules that came from the pulpit that addressed morality and sexuality and all those kind of things. Those are now obsolete. And here are your new rules handed down from the pulpit of health and safety officials. Is that what's happening? That we just don't have a belief structure anymore and that people require and need a belief structure to try and make sense of life. If they believed, if they believed it was chaos or if they believed that, let's just say, if they were as sceptical as I was, how would the wheels turn in the world? Now, you may look around and argue and say, hey, the wheels aren't turning in the world. Um, they aren't. There is no equity. There is no fairness. And maybe if we restructured that, it might those things might be more prevalent. And therefore, some scepticism um, towards the the lies and the you know the the malign influence and aspirations of uh, massive corporations and their financial structures will benefit the world. So we go round and round in this circular argument. But maybe the feedback loop that we're in is partly because of our um, our uncomfortable and immature relationship to death in the West. We are an old society. We are pear-shaped, if you look at, if you want to look at it in a, some sort of, um, I'm not sure what that would be, some sort of, not a pie chart. Uh, pear pie, how come they never made pears into pies? Must be something to do with the skin or the way they cook. Hmm, interesting. You can make a tart of a pear, but not a pie. Answers on a postcard. Anyway, the point being that Religion has no real place in the West anymore. So maybe that into that vacuum not only has sprung identity politics and that kind of thing, but also we are an old society. And it's pretty clear that what's been happening is that our society seems to have been quite willing to sacrifice young people's education. Um, I know friends who have three, four and five year old kids who have now are now going to have children who have had a year, year and a half taken from and the, the, the vital developmental stage of their lives where they're supposed to be um, free playing with other children, talking, kids who have had speech problems because they haven't been speaking to other kids, learning properly. Um, that time where they are, the, that is a vital stage in their development. Now, I am angry on their behalf and maybe that's the difference because I do see that many people don't seem to give a fuck about anything until it bumps right up against them. Like I said, I keep returning to the same statement. Why do you give a fuck about the theatre? You never went. I give a fuck about it because it's the oldest, one of the oldest expressions of art and culture known to man. Let's let's draw a circle in the sand and you act out um, your, you know, your passion play in front of people and they watch and they, you know, it's an old, it's one of the oldest cultural expressions, which is, let's be clear, something you are not allowed to do right now. And I don't see that coming back for a long, long, long time. Hey, can't you do it on Zoom? etc. We'll get to my quote from The Great Reset that explains that's why we should be doing for everything. But we'll get to that. And you can be the judge of whether you think it's something that's um, applicable to the situation we are in or not. But is part of the reason where we are where we are is because we have an uncomfortable relationship to death. Um, the average age of death caused by this is 82.4 years old, which is older than the average age that people live to. Um, the people who have all of the money within pensions, the people who are in power, in charge, the landed gentry, the people who are inflicting um, huge rents and disproportionate draconian restrictive rules on young people um, because they are of this age and that age is scared to die. Um, we have an unhealthy relationship to death. 
Um, and therefore this no one person must be left behind. Don't do not, you know, uh, do you want your granny to die, etc., etc. I get that on an emotional level that the let's call it the um, the game theory that's inherent in many of the things that we're told, um, i.e. that health, the health service will tell you, um, will choose things to not tell you because therefore they cannot scare or panic the public and they need people to move in one direction, whether it's to get a vaccination or it's whether to believe one thing or the other. There's a game theory at the heart of most of these things, which means that you can't be told all of the truth if you're not going to go and try and find it out for yourself. Um, at least that's how I sort of view it. And that is what defines most politics. And if you've ever watched The Thick of It, for example, you will know that an awful lot of politics is spin or, in other words, lies and what lies are told or withheld from the public. That's the nature of this um, transaction. And so for me, many of the conversations we're having right now, if you start from that fact and then move forward, that's not a hill I have to get over and die on first. I'm already over on the other side of the hill in the in the you know on, in another um, hollow beyond that. In the sense that I um, my skeptical mind has said, well, that's a lie straight off. I don't need to do. I feel I don't need to decipher that. I only need to walk that back. All right, all right, all right. Let's do the second ad read. It is Eisenwald Records, one of the fastest rising dark black pagan metal. All of those kind of things. Um, one of the fastest rising labels out there, www.eisenton.de and .com in North America. Use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off. Go and take a look. Loads of great new bands there. Um, Eisenwald Records. But is our difficult relationship to the fact that this is... Um, this is kind of what happens and has always happened. Look back to the last 20 or 30 years, even. There has always been viruses and things moving through society, whether it's swine flu, avian bird flu, Zika, SARS, um, and the most extreme and horrific cases like Ebola. But we never chose to lock down society before and sacrifice our liberties and freedoms, which, like I said, are now a viable instrument, which... Um, agents of power, state and tech are going to use over people from here on in, which, let's be clear, is something I said on episode one or two. And everybody scoffed at me and many people laughed at me and went, oh, you're this and that and the other. Um, an awful lot of people, I suppose, um, were yet to be convinced they, they sort of morbidly cheered me on in my as I, you know, um, ran up the side of that mountain to try and put my flag on the on the top but here we are here we are you can see quite clearly now that some element of that was what can I say um, was my negative pessimism that drove me before we got to this position just happened to look out as in that a clock is a stopped clock is right twice a day well that's something for you to consider I suppose but we're unable to or we are unable to deal with the fact that every now and again, nature just sends something around to call its numbers. It sounds um, other other cultures that I've been to have a much more colorful and positive relationship to death, whether it's Buddhist culture or you go to South America or Mexico or Central America. But somehow in the West, maybe it's because of the lack of religion and faith. 
Because if you think about it, once upon a time, people did have faith in the structures of religion and they believed that they were going to some better place after this. Um, and so maybe because there's no heaven, um, we've replaced that with a will to want to live forever. And so therefore, um, it's a perfect storm in a sense of many, many, many things. But the idea that you cannot let this run its course through society because the payoff is it is better to sacrifice all liberty and freedom. And it would seem, like I said, the developmental stages of young people, um, education of young people, um, and also their freedom and liberties to, to do the things that old people once did freely seems to be quite um, well-primed uh, sacrificed and cooked on the barbecue by now. It, the decision seems to have been made that, yes, we will sacrifice um, the developmental stages of children's education for the greater good. And now, of course, there are many, many, many reasons and narratives going on within that. Before you start shouting at me about this, that and the other, like I said, it's one small little angle, one small sliver of light, of crack through the door. There are many of them. And, you know, we could move that discussion and that dial many different directions. But the fact is that continuation of this, the continual implementation of this tool is going to create um, so many problems for the generations ahead that it's going to be almost uh, insurmountable. There's no, you know, people say, oh, there's no long term. You don't understand the long term effects of the illness I did. Or, well, I'll tell you what. You preach that, but you don't know the long-term effects of lockdown either. And in fact, nobody's really assessed it. The long-term effects of this on young people, on social, cultural society, are going to be disastrous. Economically now, it remains to be seen because there are other things, I think, moving behind that curtain that are yet to be revealed. That means we might not be on the precipice of an economic disaster quite like the Great Depression that was predicted because there just seems to be money from everywhere. It's very complicated. And like I said, I could be wrong with that. I probably am. I don't really fully understand it. But, but, the long-term implications for culture, for society. Um, we announced actually a gig with Primordial for this year. But again, we have no idea really uh, if it will happen or not. It's very strange to announce um, the uh, a gig for uh, the band that you've been working for 30 years that really has been ended by this situation that we're in. It's a small business that has been ended like many other people's small business. Um, but also it's artistic merit, it's cultural merit. And as I said, your inalienable human right to have that agency, which has been denied to you. And you announce a show and that show could be arbitrarily cancelled at the behest or decision-making processes of some grumpy, disgruntled airline employee who that morning hasn't had their coffee and a donut and goes, no, I don't like the look of your, um, I don't like the look of your um, file on your phone. Um, or who knows, somebody's phone, you're on your way to the airport and somebody's phone packs in and they go, I don't have those files anymore. That's where you are. As uh, a musician, as a uh, as um, as a band, you're at the now at the behest of so many things that could arbitrarily cancel just going from point A to point B 
to play the music that you've made for an audience of people. Something which two years ago you took as just something that came, um, something that was an everyday occurrence. And as you should have, as that is the nature of um, art, of, well, as I, I keep saying, and I keep hammering on with words that people don't like, because for some reason, and I don't know how this has come to pass, but mentioning words like liberty, freedom, um, human rights has somehow pegged you as a member of the alt-right. How the fuck did that happen? How did that happen? I think that now we must go back to the 10-year cycle of media, social media derangement and how the divide and conquer tactics played by those agencies of um, tech and power and influence have siloed us off. I keep using the word silo, but has have siloed us off into thinking in those um, binary terms, either right, wrong, good, evil. So I say um, I have inalienable human rights and liberties with which to pursue um, my creative artistic, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. I say that people go, oh, you must be evil because you want X person to die. It's like, well, is that really the correlation? Is that the only correlation that there is? Because that doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's like we've completely eliminated all of the middle ground from these arguments and are purely reacting on an emotional basis. Um, and I find that very, very difficult to deal with. I mean, if you think about it, confirmation bias itself is probably a useful tool because back in the day, being cast out of the village had consequences. It had dire consequences. Um, but some of us are willing to be the black sheep. Some of us are willing to poke our heads above the parapet and speak out and say how they see uh, how they see things unfolding. How this looks like it looks and looks like it looks. I could have worded that a bit better. You can tell I'm working off no script here. This is just coming off the top of my head. Um, and it probably would have made more sense if I was wearing a bandana, as most things do. I often say that I play the bass better with a bandana, play football better with a bandana. Maybe I start to need, need to start wearing it when I am doing podcasts. And the third ad read is hatecouture.com. H-A-T-E as in I hate you. C-O-U-T-U-R-E 616.com. Hateful yet taste for apparel. Loads of offensive t-shirts venerating serial killers and tyrants. Go and take a look. www.h-a-t-e-c-o-u-t-u-r-e 616.com or just put that into the Instagram and you will find them and use the promo code AA podcast and you will get free shipping, which is worth a lot these days, my friends. But like I said, the revolution of the 1% against the 99%, the 99% just though are still laboring under the misapprehension of that can't happen here, Alan. Come on. Anyway, confirmation bias is a human prerogative because we aspire to be in the in group. We don't want um, to be cast out. We don't want to be labeled a heretic. I'm personally not afraid of that. Um, and maybe that's what has me in the position right here, right now, talking to you, trying to sense make within all of this, trying to critically um, analyze or rationally observe or dissect or, you know, tie my own grey matter up in knots trying to get my head around it, when in the reality is I probably should be sitting outside 
um, drinking a beer and not thinking about this. Good point. Good point. Jeopardy and risks, my friend. Jeopardy and risks. So. I'm going to end this particular podcast with a little quote from Klaus Schwab's book um, about the Great Reset. Like I said, um, I think the people who've been using the words CT, C-theorist, or C exclamation NT, if you call me that either, I think those people by now, by now, should have got to the, the point of wondering, hang on, hang on. Is that really how it seems? It's not a complicated thought process. If it's not, then what is it? Now, if you haven't arrived at that yet, let me quote you something from the little, the little black book um, to leave with. Because this, it would seem, is an intention that is being played out within our society. The book itself is, as you can imagine, a complete mess. It's uh, all over the place. Reading parts of it is very, very heavy going, almost some form of mental torture. But within it, Schwab outlines his vision for um, modern society. And we can certainly see the next passage is being played out. As, as it's clear, there is an attempt to destroy social society, the fabric of social society. So, during lockdowns, many consumers previously reluctant to rely too heavily on digital applications and services were forced to change their habits almost overnight. Many of the tech behaviours that we were forced to adopt during our own confinement will through familiarity become more natural. If health read fear of germs, considerations become paramount. We may decide, for example, that a cycling class in front of a screen at home is safer and cheaper. The same reasoning applies to many different domains, including meeting up with people. Zoom is safer, cheaper, greener and more convenient. Driving to a distant family gathering for the weekend, the WhatsApp family group is not as fun, but again, safer, cheaper and greener or even attending an ac academic course. Not as fulfilling, but cheaper and more convenient and more green. Now, I have added a few little bits there to the, uh, to the general tone, but what they are trying to say is that what is happening is an attempt to move society inside, to end social society. Why bother going to see a gig when you can watch the stream of it? Why bother going to the theatre where you can watch theatre on the screen? If the future is going to be an augmented reality future where we sit inside with headsets on, then why not prep young people for that now? If you are 11 or 12 or 13 or 14, by the time you get to 17 or 18 and lockdown might still be continuing, it will be all you know. And therefore, how will you understand the liberties and freedoms that have been taken from you? We will. We will grumble and I'm not sure what form our protest will take. We've seen across most of the West, the answer is it's not really taken much of a form at all because of the aforementioned silos which we've been moved in to consider everyone else the enemy. Classic divide and conquer. But in reading the most banal extracts of this book, you realise... The intention is stay inside, 
consume through fear. Why bother going outside? You don't need to do this. You will have your food delivered to you. You will get your money from the state every week to stay to spend in state-sponsored institutions. Um, you will not need to travel um, because those th things before that you needed to experience in real life will now be at the end of a screen. We need to end old economies, old legacy economies, people working outside with their hands. We do not need this anymore. You are being moved inside to be constantly plugged into your new tech economy. It is safer. We will keep you safe. There will be no risk. It will be cheaper and more convenient. And what I think will come is it will save the environment. It will help the climate. And if, for example, this seems like a vast, crazy overreach, just think about what's happened in the last 18 months and the new models people have adopted um, unwittingly without maybe really thinking about the consequences that are going to come down the line from no longer having any office anymore. I get it. I get it. The commute was terrible. But you know what? You could have just stuck on that podcast and put up with it. I get it. The commute was annoying, etc., etc. But with the office comes office romances, the drinks afterwards, the social life, all of those things. Maybe you go, hey, you know, we should go and see a gig tonight or whatever. All gone. You're just going to be sitting in front of your screen. And it may feel kind of cozy at first. And sure enough, some people will like it. But eventually, you're going to wonder, hang on, I need to see another human being in the flesh. But that's not part of this book's plan. Not for you, anyway. Certainly not. What it is stating is very clear. It is the attempted um, restructuring of social society, of civic society, um, of culture, art, expression, freedom of whatever, only at the behest of um, health and safety and an unelected, unaccountable elite. No, I might be wrong. I might be being hyperbolic and too um, extreme about all this. But you know what? I am angry about all of this. I've been trying to put, you know, a kind of a turn of phrase on that anger, a little bit of wit and turn it into a podcast here. But I am very angry because... What's happening to society is just quite incredible that in 18 months, the amount that we've given away. And if you're sitting, as I said, in a bar watching a band somewhere going, what the fuck are they talking about? What's happening in Ireland? Believe me, believe me, a state that is lent into what Irish means abroad, into the culture and personality of the Irish, Irish music, Irish theatre, Irish playwrights, Irish music. That state is now destroying all of those things. And that is, I'm at the, uh, the patient zero, shall we say, of the Great Reset. Klaus Schwab, I love your work. I love your work. Follow me on the gram, my friends. This is Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill. Raise the horns. Planet Satan over and out. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.